Go with me, please, to the book of Genesis. Let's look at, again, our text and verses we've looked at. Now, if you have not been with us on previous, the previous parts of this new series we're into now, the title of it is The Blame Game. The Blame Game. And we began in Genesis. I believe this is our third session on it now. And let's remind ourselves in Genesis 3, And verse 12, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and took of the forbidden fruit, immediately they were aware that they were naked and they were afraid and they were ashamed and they tried to hide themselves. They tried to cover themselves, not just, you know, the covering themselves physically happened, but there was more than that. They're trying to cover and hide what they did. In Genesis 3, if you'll notice there, let me just back up to verse 9. The Lord called to Adam and he said, where are you? And uh, you know, let me just remind you about something here. Did God ask him where he was because he couldn't find him? Because <laughs> he didn't know where he was? No. You'll find the Lord does this often. He asks questions that he already knows the answer to. But it's important for you to give the right response. How you respond to the question he already knows the answer to determines how he's going to deal with you. It's not that he's looking for the answer. Your and my response determines how we're going to be dealt with. Because he's not controlling our wills. Now this is something that some people don't even believe. They believe that God has already predetermined everything. And if that's true, there's really no choice in the matter. But you'll find that the Lord says things like this. If you do this, then this is going to happen. And if not, if you do this, then this, something different, is going to happen. If God is really controlling everything in everybody, there can be no if. That can't, that can't exist. And yet, we see plainly in the scriptures, he said, I set before you life, death, blessing, cursing, you choose. Now, you got millions of people that, that are trying to say it's God's choice. Everything's up to him. But that's a lie of the enemy. That's a deception. It's actually a doctrine of demons. It's a bad thing. The truth is, we have the choice what we're going to do. And so how we respond is how he's going to deal with us. Adam, where are you? Verse 10. He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Notice that word. He, uh, I can say this confidently, he had not experienced this feeling. Prior to this, this is a new thing for he and Eve, this fear. I was afraid because I was naked. That's a new thing too. He didn't know what naked was prior to this. And I hid myself. Fear and trying to cover up, hiding. And verse 11, the Lord said, who told you that you were naked? Again, is that because God's trying to figure this out and doesn't know what happened? No, he knows what happened. Does he already know the answer to that? Yeah. 
then why is he asking the question? Because what happens next is depending on your response. Who told you? Have you eaten of the tree where I've commanded you that you should not eat? Now do you understand that right now, what's it time for? Can you con God? Can you hide things from Him? Can you lie to Him and trick Him? Impossible. You can't hide anything from God. The Bible said all things are open and naked before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. It's impossible to trick God or cover up anything where He can't see it. Impossible. So if we were smart, we would just humble ourselves and lay our soul bare before him and confess and repent. That's the only really reasonable response when you're dealing with a being who already knows everything. It's really, how ignorant is it to try to hide something from somebody that you should know you can't hide anything from? And yet, it happens every day. Every day. Because of deception. Because the enemy is, is always offering alternatives to the truth. And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. This is shirking responsibility. This is blaming someone else for your failure. He's blaming his wife, and he's blaming God who gave him the wife. The woman that you gave me, that you gave me, the woman you gave me. And see, this is getting the focus off of him. He's trying to get to, because when God says, where are you? I hid myself. Why'd you do that? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the fruit? The light's on him. (laughs) On him. And he's experiencing fear. He's never experienced this, but he's experiencing shame and condemnation. And he wants the light off of him. So what does he do? Anything to get the light off of me. It was her. And you gave her to me. But the next thing that after he deals with the woman and the serpent is judgment. Why? There was no repentance. And so the next thing God spoke was judgment. Verse 13. The Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, what? She said, now the, the spotlight's on her. She's in the spotlight. What did you do? What is this that you have done? Now, you know, I, I'm not saying this to point any fingers at them because that'd be me doing the same thing, right? I mean, if I'm saying, you know, look what they did. Well, all of us have done this at some point or other in our lives. We understand it well. And it's, it's interesting how early and how young this starts. Little ones. Little ones. You ask them, you know, what did you do? Not because you don't know, because you see the mess that they made. 
And you already know. I mean, it's very similar to this. What did you do? And very little ones will, will be like, they don't know what you're talking about. Or it was the dog. Or it was the cat. Or it was brother or sister. Or, you know, and, and people look at that and they even make videos of it and they act like it's funny. It ain't funny. If they continue that, it can destroy their life. In fact, you can't even be saved unless you admit your sins and failures and your need for a Savior. How can you get saved and you won't even admit that you're lost and you need to be saved? There's got to be this honesty and taking responsibility for your own life and your own choices or you won't get help. You won't get grace. And that's one of the main reasons we're talking about this. So we see what happened with this. We see from the very beginning when mistakes were made, the immediate response was blaming, blaming, blaming. In uh, Proverbs 28.13, if you'd put that on the screen for us. Proverbs 28.13, we saw this. It says, he that covers his sins, what will happen? It won't go well. You won't prosper means to succeed or to succeed in accomplishing or succeed in reaching. If you cover it up, it's not going to end well. You know, uh, there are times that people said, well, you know, man, they got away with that. You know, it's been um, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and nobody ever found out. It ain't over. It ain't, nobody ever gets away with anything. Even if nobody found out in this life, it ain't over. If you didn't receive forgiveness for it, you're still going to have to answer for it. If you didn't take what Jesus did for you, you know, the Bible talks about this, about everybody's going to have to give an account of themselves before God. Somebody says, oh, oh you know, that's, that scares me so bad. But no, Jesus paid the price. And if you receive what he did for you, you won't have to pay for it. Hallelujah. But if you don't receive what he did for it, then you will have to answer. And that is scary. He that covers his sins won't prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Does that sound good to you? Shall have mercy. But how are you going to get the mercy? How are you going to get the help? If you're trying to blame somebody else, you're not confessing what you're responsible for. If you're not repentant, you're not willing to turn and change and forsake it. You know, we, we saw with uh, Esau. In fact, just turn over there again. I know that a lot of folks weren't with us. Turn to Hebrews 12. Let's review this again. Esau is given as an example of someone who failed of the grace of God. Now, boy, that's what a statement that is. What does it mean to fail of the grace of God? Another way of saying it is to come short of the grace of God. How could that happen? And what is happening with that? In uh, Hebrews 12, it says concerning Esau, it says in verse 14, well, let's back up to verse 12. Lift up the hands which hang down. 
and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet, not crooked paths, straight paths. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. How many understand God's will is never destruction, is never judgment, is never failure. It's always healing, restoration, forgiveness, cleansing. That's always his will. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter said. But see, involved in repentance is acknowledgement. You can't to be said that you've repented if you won't even acknowledge that you missed it. And how are you going to receive forgiveness for something you don't even acknowledge that you made a mistake in? There's got to be that acknowledgement. Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, and lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now let's just stop right here. All this goes together, obviously. Those who are not taking advantage of the grace of God, who are not receiving it, you'll also see this bitterness. And with bitterness, you'll see blame. You show me somebody that's bitter, I'll show you somebody that's blaming somebody else. Is that right? Blame. Well, what are you bitter about? And you know one of, the, one of the main ones that people are blaming? God himself. Blaming God. Well, you let this happen. And you didn't do this. You know, in this thing that we're dealing with right now, in this virus and all the things that are happening here there are no doubt people that are mad at God you know why did God do this why did God send this terrible disease that's making so many sick and killing so many and and um, you know destroying economies and all this kind of stuff and, and causing people to lose why is God doing that and, and this is not just an isolated thing this is the whole planet why, this is countries all over the world. Why, why did God do this? That is the wrong question. Wrong question. Wrong question. The question is, according to Jesus in Luke 13, why wasn't God able to spare us from this? Why wasn't he able to protect us from this? The scripture says, that the prophet said, it is of the Lord's mercies that you are not consumed. It's his mercy that we hadn't been consumed long ago. If it wasn't for the Lord's mercy, a meteor shower could take out the whole planet any day or night. If it wasn't for the Lord's mercy, any number of microbes and bacteria and disease and plague could have wiped out the entire population thousands of times throughout the generations if the Lord hadn't spared us and kept us of his mercy. And here's a question. Here's a question. Does God owe 
protection and blessing to people who mock him and blaspheme him and worship false gods and idols, people who mock and hurt his people and mock Jesus himself. Does he owe them protection and blessing? No, friend. The truth is, God has spared so much in spite of all the blasphemy and mocking and derision and disrespect, but for the sake of his people, his own people, he spared whole states, whole countries, whole continents for the sake of a few. Do you remember when Abraham pled with him? And you remember when he said, when he told him, you know, that Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed. He said, well, will you spare the whole place for 50? He said, I'll do it. Will you spare the whole place for, for, you know, he kept going down 40, 30, 20. And he got to 10. He said, will you spare the whole place for 10? And the Lord said, yep, for 10. Why? Because he asked him to. Because his covenant man asked him to. The places were so wicked. How wicked was it? You couldn't find 10 in two cities that had any righteousness about them. What does that mean? Just wicked violent, blasphemers. Why does God owe people who reject him protection? Why does he owe people that worship false gods, even worship the devil? Why does he owe everybody blessing? He doesn't. He doesn't. Thank God for his mercy. And if you're thinking right, you're not going to be bitter at God. If you're thinking right, you're not going to be blaming God. And if you're having problems in your own life, if you're thinking right, and you're going to access the grace of God, which is going to get you out of it and get you through it, you're not going to be blaming other people for your problems and for your situation. If you're bitter, you're blaming. If you're blaming, you're judging. If you're judging... You won't get grace because you're not receiving it. You'll get judged. Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. And all that goes back to the bitterness and blaming. Can you see, friends, why we're talking about this right now? You do not want to be blaming anybody else for any problems in your life. You want to be honest. You want to be humble. You want to take responsibility for your own failures and shortcomings and mistakes and sins. And if you will, if you will, you'll get mercy and grace to help in the time of need. And mercy means you don't get judgment. Grace means you get help that you don't deserve at all, but you get it. And how many believe his grace is sufficient? It is more than enough to sustain us and help us, keep us and heal us. Somebody say, I love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my mind and all my strength. I'm not mad at God. I'm not stupid. I don't blame God. I'm not ignorant. He's a good God. If it hadn't been for the Lord... We'd have all been destroyed long ago, many times. But because of his mercies, he has sustained us and kept us 
and I am his, and he is mine. His banner over me is love. His protection over me is his love. Hallelujah. And we will come through this victoriously. Can you say amen? There are many who are praying and not blaming, but they're thankful and they're praying and he's helping our leaders and he's helping our researchers and our professionals and our scientists. Thank God he's helping all our doctors and and nurses. We're so thankful for the amazing job that they're doing. But it's if anybody gets to the point where they begin to get bitter, bitter, oh man, you're in about the worst place you could possibly be on the planet. Because if you blame God, you, are in, you get in a place where nobody can help you, not even God himself. Because he's the only answer. When man can't fix it, you best look to him. He's not, how many would, would agree God's not our problem? Never has been. Never will be. He's not the thief. He's not the destroyer. He told us who is. And we need his help and grace so that the enemy doesn't have access and we don't need to give the enemy place. We need to resist him and give God place. He said, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Keep going. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Now, it's important to note here, Esau didn't just make an innocent mistake. When he came in, you know, and he hadn't got anything in hunting, and his brother had that big pot of stew on, and he said, give me some of that stew, and he said, well, sell me your birthright. And he said, I'm about to starve. What good's this birthright going to do me? Sure, deal. He said, deal, deal. Sold him his birthright as the firstborn in the family. That has to do with covenant with God and the firstborn rights and privileges of a covenant family with a covenant God. This is a big deal. And he treated it like it was nothing. And so the Lord allowed him to lose it. If he's going to treat it that way, he allowed this to happen. You know, the deception wasn't of God, but he allowed it. Esau was a profane person. He didn't just make a mistake that day. He's somebody, you know, he took Hittite women for wives. About ran his mother crazy. She said, my life is not worth living with these women around here. I mean, he knew better. He just was disrespectful. He didn't value the things of God. That's why he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. And the reason we're talking about him, because he's held up as the example of bitterness. We just got through reading the verse. Keep going, verse 17. You know that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. He was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it. Now, that's not necessarily repentance that he's seeking. He was seeking the blessing. He sought it carefully with tears. You know, just because you cry and feel bad doesn't mean you repented. What are you crying over? 
He, did, he never repented. He never repented. That's why it couldn't be changed. If you refuse to repent and acknowledge your mistakes and receive mercy and forgiveness, you can't be helped. You're in such a terrible place. Any of us would be in such a terrible place. He was mad. He was upset. And here's an interesting thing. We touched it last week, but I know we got people with us that weren't with us week before. He wanted the blessing, but he didn't want the responsibility. He didn't care about the birthright because though the birthright had privilege, it also had responsibility. If you're the firstborn, then when daddy goes on, you're responsible for hearing from God, for the family and leading the family. You're responsible to live right and all those things. It's not just benefit. He want, a lot of people want the riches, they want the blessing, but they don't want the responsibility. They, they don't want to be responsible for anything. They don't want to have to live right or act right. They, they just want the blessing. Well, it doesn't work. If you despise one, you lose the other. And the fact that he was bitter, who was he bitter about? If you read that story in Genesis, when this happened, he cried and cried with his dad and said, can't you give me the blessing anyway? Don't you have a blessing for me? And when it was all over, he had set in his heart, he's going to kill his brother as soon as he can. Well, see, he's bitter. That's exactly what happened Cain and Abel. Cain blamed Abel because he gave a bad offering. Is that stupid or what? But that's how the enemy works. If you don't want to accept responsibility for something you know you did, what else can you do? Well, you can blame somebody else. It doesn't even have to be true. If you don't want the truth, what else can you believe? Lies. That's all that's left. But that's what the enemy functions in. And you can be sure of this. There's no way the devil accepts responsibility for his situation. There's no way. You can be sure. He blames God. He's full of bitterness. He's full of bitterness because of what's happened to him. And that's why there can be no salvation for the devil because he will never repent. He'll never repent. You, you can see that in so many ways. In the book of Revelation, and we're reading that now, aren't we? You'll see that after he's removed from human contact for a thousand years, and it's demonstrated how he is no match for God, a thousand years, a thousand years, and after all the other stuff that happened, when he's released, what does he do? Does he repent? Does he ask for mercy? Uh-uh. He incites a war against God, rebellion, and that's all he'll ever do. You could give him a trillion years to infinity, he will never change, he'll never repent. So he can't be saved. There's no salvation for him. There's no grace for him, because he won't receive it. Can you see this, saints? And there are people who are the same way. They will not repent. They, they will not admit their mistakes. They won't take responsibility. And if you do that and you harden your heart and you stiffen your neck after being reproved many times, the scripture says you'll be destroyed suddenly without remedy. Without remedy means there's no cure for you. There's no fix for you. Why? God's our hope. 
He is our salvation. What Jesus has done is everything. In order to receive it, we must acknowledge and confess and believe and receive. That requires humility. If you're blaming, you're bitter. And that was him. He was bitter. And the Bible warns us that that root of bitterness will influence and contaminate people. You know, we're we're very aware of that right now, of how virus germs can contaminate and affect other people. And that's not good. Thank God we got the Lord to protect us. I'll say it again. The Lord quickened to me that all of us need to have this in our mouth. Matthew 16, one of the signs that follows believers is that if I drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt me. Hallelujah. Well, drinking it means it touched you some way. And that happened with Paul when he was snake bit. That venom touched him, but it didn't hurt him. The Bible said he shook it off and he felt no harm. What happened? The power of God neutralized it, caused it to just dissipate. I don't know what happened, but it didn't bother him. And so if I eat any deadly thing, it shall not hurt me. If I touch any deadly thing, it shall not hurt me. If I breathe any deadly thing, it shall not hurt me. You know, uh, it was said that Dr. John G. Lake, who was a strong minister in the healing area, there, there was, uh, you know, plague going around during his time, consumption, tuberculosis, and other things were real bad. And... Uh, He wanted to demonstrate, and I don't recommend you do this, but he did it for a purpose. But he, they they took some uh, froth from a person who had died from a disease. He said, put that on my hand and then look under the microscope. (laughs) They did, and sure enough, when they put it on his hand, it died. Wow, wow. Is it true that God has the power? To keep, well, if I drink any deadly thing and it didn't hurt me, which I'm quoting from Jesus, Mark 16, how could that be? What happened? You actually drank something deadly. Why didn't it hurt you? Well, it'd be the same thing, just like those germs were on him. Something happened. The power of God killed him. The power of God neutralized him. The power of God rendered him inert and harmless. Can you say, I believe? I'm a believer, hallelujah. Well, then say it out loud. If I eat any deadly thing, it shall not hurt me. If I drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt me. If I touch any deadly thing, if I breathe any deadly thing, it shall not hurt me. I'm a believer, and these signs follow those that believe. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Now, if you've already been affected by something and you didn't get a hold of that early enough, don't let it bother you. Just believe God for healing. Right? You come out and be stronger than ever and help somebody else with this next time. So we see that uh, Esau was bitter and blaming others and found no place of repentance. And he is not the line that the Bible follows, he did lose his birthright and his blessing because of what he did. Uh, Look with me in, in Revelation, please, the 12th chapter. Revelation chapter 12. 
and verse 7. It said, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Don't you like that? (laughs) They lost, and they lose, and they will lose. Prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Thank God. I don't want them to be around me. How about you? And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. That's, uh, that's the enemy's main weapon, is deception. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the what? The what? The accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Now this is, like every verse, this is so significant. This gives us insight into the operation of the enemy. We know he's lying and deceiving all the time. Everybody he can, the whole world. Here's something else he is doing all the time. Accusing, 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 blaming, accusing. He does it night and day, day and night. The devil, the enemy of our God, the enemy of our soul, is the accuser of the brethren. That's a title of his. Whether he accepts it or not, it is. He's the deceiver. He's the destroyer. He's the accuser. Now you'll notice he, he's described, the devil's described as the adversary oftentimes. Well, that goes with accuser because adversary is one who is against. He's against us. And one of the ways he he acts on this being against us is by accusing us. Accusing us. And he does it nonstop. Well, why would he do it? Why would he do it? Because he's always trying to get access to us so he can still kill and destroy. And the way he gets access is through accusation. Now, we'll talk more about this as we go, but if you see this and understand it and believe it, why would you want to be like the devil? Why would you want to be a voice on earth of his? Now, now he does accuse us before God day and night, but he also does it on the earth. He cannot do it, though, without human voice. If he wants to accuse me where that it affects me on earth, he has to do it through somebody else. Because it wouldn't matter what he said or did, it can't be heard. He's a spirit. His evil spirits, spirits, they have to find somebody that'll voice it. 
And sadly, it's not difficult for them to find somebody, especially in these days of social media. Oh, man. Are there any accusations flying around on Facebook? Oh, man. On Twitter, on whatever it is that people are on. Are there any accusations? Is there any blame? It's everywhere, which shows you the source. What's motivating people? Why do people want to do this? Blame and find fault and condemn and judge and accuse and be so indignant about it and be so self-righteous about it like they never made any mistakes. What's going on here? The accuser of the brethren is doing this day and night. We need to make up our mind we are not going to lend him our voice. We're not going to let him accuse each other, accuse my spouse, my children, my parents, my boss, my pastor. I'm not going to let the devil speak an accusation through my mouth. Let him use me. Let me be a vessel of expressing his accusation in the earth. If you agree with that, say amen. It means so be it. You're saying I'm not going to either. I'm not going to participate in accusing the brethren. It's a serious thing to make accusations. It's the ministry of the devil himself. (laughs) And we need to choose Without any ambiguity, we need to choose not to participate. Come on, somebody say, I refuse to lend my voice to make accusations. I'm not a blamer. I'm not a condemner. I'm not a fault finder. I'm not an accuser of the brethren. Now you'll see a complete night and day contrast with the Holy Spirit. The devil is the adversary, the accuser. Do you know who the Holy Spirit is? He's the advocate (laughs) and the helper. He's for you. Oh, thank God. Because if God was against us, oh dear me, we might as well just give up. It'd be done. But he's not against us. He's for us. Oh, somebody say, he's for me. Well, that means he's not making accusations. God's not making accusations against you. Jesus is not making accusations against you. The Holy Spirit is not making accusations. That's the devil. Go to Romans 8. Romans 8, and you can see this so clearly. Now, I'm using the word accuse and accusation, but do you see it carries the same idea as blame? Blaming. Romans chapter 8. Who are we going to blame for our problems? (laughs) Not God and not each other. In Romans, the 8th chapter, it says in verse 31, Romans 8.31, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us. Oh man, we don't even know what we said when we said that. Who's for you? 
the creator of the universe, the eternal one, is for you, then you got it made. You don't have to know the rest, right? If the creator, the one who, who cannot fail, whose wisdom cannot be found out and his power is without limit, if he's on my side, if he's for me, I got it made. No matter what's going on at the moment, I got it made. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now we know we got an adversary, but the implication is who can be successful against us? Well, against God, nobody. Verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If the Lord was ever going to withhold anything from us and say, no, that's too much, it would have been his son. But if he gave us Jesus, then a car, a house, a healing, a deliverance, all of that is small potatoes compared to this. And the truth is, when he gave us Jesus, he gave us all of that in him. Verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Since it's God that justifies. Now laying charge against is accusing, is blaming, finding fault with. Verse 34. Who is he that condemns? Again, That's accusing, that's blaming, that's finding fault with. Not Christ that died and is risen again, who's at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. See, that's completely contradictory to what he did. If he'd have wanted anything to be against us, all he'd have had to do is nothing, just not save us. But he took our place and paid the price so that there wouldn't be anything against us. So God the Father is not, let's back up to 33 again. God the Father is not blaming us for anything or laying anything to our charge. He's the one that justified us. Verse 34, Jesus the Christ, he's not condemning us or accusing us of anything. He's the one that that paid the price, took our place, rose from the dead, and ever lives to make intercession for us. He, He is our advocate as well. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can you hear the Holy Spirit through Paul is quickening him? He's preaching now. His voice level is coming up. And he's done got sassy in front of the devil. Can you see this? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I mean, if God's for me, if the Father won't condemn me of anything, if Jesus is not holding anything against me, who can separate me? From the love of Christ. Tribulation? And the answer is no. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? Nakedness? Peril? Sword? No. 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 That can't do it. Verse 36. As it's written, for your sake we're killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. The devil's trying to do it. He's trying to separate you from the righteousness of God and from the love of God. Verse 37. But he can't. Nay. Anybody know what nay means? No, no no accusations of the enemy directly or through an evil spirit or through confused people can bring judgment against me. And none of these things can separate me from God loving me, accepting me, keeping me as part of his family in all these things. 
We are more than conquerors. Oh, somebody say more than conquerors. More than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Can you hear him preaching, saints? Can you? He's preaching now. None of these things, uh, nor height, uh, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, somebody say, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. We do have an adversary. We do have one that's arrayed against us and always trying to accuse us, accuse us, trying to get judgment against us. But he is a defeated foe. He's been stripped. He's been brought to naught. And God, who's the only one, the perfectly righteous one, Jesus Christ, the perfectly sinless one, are the only ones who would have a right to condemn and to judge. But they have chosen not to. They have chosen to accept Jesus' sacrifice on your and my behalf so that now they are not condemning us. They are not accusing us. They are not against us in any degree or form. They are for us. Oh, somebody say for. God is for us me. Said out loud, God is on my side. God is for me. The Holy Spirit is my advocate, my intercessor, my strengthener, my standby. He's my helper. Well, if he's helping you, he's not against you. He's for you. And if God be for you, doesn't matter that the accuser of the brethren is making accusations. They fall on deaf ears and they accomplish no effect. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Go with me to 1 John, please. 1 John, the first chapter in closing, I think. 1 John, chapter 1. Now, the first epistle to John and the second and the third, are written to believers. And don't you believe anything else different? It should be very obvious to even a casual reader. This is written to believers. In John 1, first chapter of John, and uh, the fifth verse, 1 John 1, 5, it says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, the, the language here in the original, I understand, is strong. It's like not even any darkness. <laughs> it's very comprehensive and definite. How much darkness is in God? Well, the English says no darkness at all. And I think the Greek's even stronger. Not, not even any. God is complete, total light. He doesn't have a dark side. There's no darkness in him at all. And it's very important as you read the rest of this chapter, this first chapter, the balance of it, that you don't forget that we're talking about light and darkness. 
I know for years I didn't understand the latter part of the chapter because I lost track of the first part. So every verse we read now through the rest of this chapter, you need to be thinking light and darkness, light and darkness, light and darkness. Verse 7, well, well, excuse me, 6, yeah. If we say we have fellowship with Him, with God, and we walk in darkness, we're lying and not doing the truth. Why would that be? Because if you're walking with God, He is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If you're walking with Him, you're not walking in darkness, because you're walking with light. You'd be walking in the light. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, and of course He is the light, then we have fellowship one with another. This is us with God, with the light. We have fellowship with God, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, that shows it's God He's talking about, cleanses us from all sin. Now, Violation of light is what sin is. There's been volumes upon volumes written about sin, what constitutes sin, different degrees of sin, and a lot of that's just junk. It's just not true at all. God deals with us based on our knowledge of Him and our knowledge of light. He knows what you know. He knows what you don't know. What we see and know and understand is light. And James talks about this. To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Now why would you say to him it is sin? Well, because he or she knew better. If you didn't know better, but you were walking in all the light that you had, that's where this verse comes in. Any one of us, As we stand here, as we're living today, do we have full light on everything? Certainly not. Well, then you can look back to the previous time of your life, and there are times you were doing things that really, I shouldn't say really, they weren't okay, they weren't right and good, but at the moment, at that time, you didn't see it. Well, what about now? (laughs) Reckon there's enlightenment for the future that we could look back to now? And go, whoo, I shouldn't have been doing that or I should have been doing this. But if I'm walking in all the light I have, the blood of his son cleanses me. That's present tense continuum. It cleanses and keeps on as long as I'm doing what I know to do. I don't have to be concerned about all the stuff I don't know. The blood of the lamb, his son, is cleansing me continually. From all of that. Keep reading verse 8. Verse 8. But if we say that we have no sin. Now again. Don't forget. We're talking about light and darkness. If we say we have no sin. Let me interject this. While we're walking in darkness. There are people that try to say. Well we're sinning every day. You can't help it. Because we're just old sinners. Saved by grace. No that's not true. That's not true. It's possible to go days and weeks and months and years without sinning. Why? Well, because of what sin is. Sin is violation of light. 
Do you have to ignore what you see and know? Do you have to violate light? You don't. Jesus went his entire life and never violated the light he had, which was full light. But if we, you got to go back to the previous verses, if we're walking in darkness, but we say we don't have any sin, we're deceiving ourselves. This is another way of saying, if you say you're walking with him, but you're walking in darkness. The truth's not in us. Verse 9. But if we confess our sins. Oh friend. Do you see why, why I got here? If you hide your sins. If you cover. And you blame others like Adam. If you accuse others. You won't prosper the scripture said. But if you will confess. What? Your sin. And, you know, there are people that try to say, well, you know, Jesus already paid for all of our sins, uh, past, present, and future. We can't even remember all our sins. We're not talking about every sin you committed before you were born again. This is written to believers. If I have violated light, I know it. My heart knows it. If you read just a couple of chapters later in this same first epistle of John, you'll see if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God and whatever we ask we receive of Him. Well, what if your heart is condemning you? Well, then you won't have confidence. You're in a bad place. It undermines your faith. So our confessing our sin is not so God would get willing to forgive us. He's already accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. But if we have dabbled in darkness, we have violated light, we have to get our own heart fixed because our own heart knows it and is condemning us. You're not going to receive righteousness and forgiveness and cleansing for something you won't even acknowledge that you did. You must acknowledge and confess your violation of light. It has already been taken care of, but you've got to take care of your own heart now. You've got to receive the cleansing and washing and righteousness restored. If you'll confess your sins, he's faithful. Oh, somebody say faithful. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, now again, Don't skip the first part. That's if you're walking in darkness. If I'm walking in darkness and I say that I haven't sinned, what am I doing now? I'm denying what I know in my own heart. And that's also when people get into blaming and accusing. Yeah, but, you know, maybe I did that, but it's because they didn't help me and it's because of this and because of that. Well, you're not taking any responsibility. And how are you going to receive restoration and cleansing and washing for something you won't even admit that you did? Oh, friend, this is such a precious thing that God has given us. After we've been born again, after we're walking with God, we still got flesh. We still got unrenewed mind. We can yield to wrong things. We can do wrong things if we choose to. But thank God it's not the end. We don't have to live the rest of our life with guilt or shame. No matter how badly we may have messed up, we can acknowledge it. 
We can admit, I knew better. Whose fault is it? My fault. Don't make any excuses. Lord, I knew you showed me that. I ignored it. I did it again or I did it for 50 more times. Whatever it is, you come to him, you acknowledge it. If you're walking in darkness, but you want to pretend like you're not, you're lying. That's what he said. You make him a liar. And his words, not it. Again, it's like Adam and Eve dealing with God after they failed. How are you going to hide it from him? How are you going to trick him about it? You cannot. You cannot. So what's the thing to do? Come boldly to the very throne of grace. Fall down. Admit, Father, I, I messed up. I knew better. I violated light. I didn't do what I knew I should have done. I did what I knew I shouldn't have done. But we don't stop there. We don't stop there. We believe this. Back up to verse 9 again. If you do that, if you'll confess it, he's faithful, he's just, he's justified in, in forgiveness because Jesus has paid the price for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What you do is then now you receive the cleansing, the washing, you receive the righteousness And by the blood of the Lamb, you stand as though you never violated any light after you were born again. And you don't have to let it bother you or have any kind of ill effect on your conscience because the blood of the Lamb cleanses the conscience. Stand on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.